The expressed views of the guests on this podcast are theirs alone and not necessarily endorsed by the host, TWBC, or any associated sponsor. Conversations that are robust yet balanced, on point and to the point. You are listening to The Talk of Tournament Water Skiing. This is the TWBC Podcast. And now, here's your host, Tony Lightfoot. Well, greetings one and all, and welcome to the TWBC Podcast. My name is Tony Lightfoot, and uh, this is going to be a rather special episode uh, because uh, we have uh, two of uh, the the foremost water skiing athletes uh, ever to compete in uh, in competition uh, over over the last 20 or even 30 years now. And uh, with that, uh, I say hello to my good friends, uh, uh, Freddie Kruger and uh, Karen Trulove. How are you doing, uh, both of you? Doing great, Tony. Doing good. All right, then. So we're here uh, not too far away from uh, from the center of Orlando. I, I won't go into the specifics, uh, but uh, looking outside the lake uh, uh, over, over towards your ramp and slalom course and everything, you know, no, Freddie and Karen... Was 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 this the dream when you started out? Absolutely. I mean, to live here, you mean? Yeah, to be, to, here to, to, to be in this kind of uh, surround where you had your own lake, your ramp, and your slalom course, and and all the trappings that go along with it. I mean, for me, I I don't know that I actually you know wrote it all out on paper like you know like that, but. I mean, yes, like once you, you know, get here and see, uh, you know, the environment that we're in, I, I mean, it's exactly what I, I dreamt that I could, I would do one day. Yeah, a, a big, uh, a big difference uh, to, to, to where you were, you started your, your skiing career over in Decatur, right? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, grew up on, I actually grew up on a, a public lake, but we had um, a club lake that was about eight miles away and, you know, it was more of a, a private man-made lake kind of a setup um then you know transferring there uh did a little time at nlu on the bayou and and then down to jays which again going back to man-made lake so um that transition to the to the florida scene where you know you're out on the bigger public lakes and that but at, at that time knowing that that's what the pro tour was that's what the world cup was um it was the perfect fit and um you know today a lot of the tournaments have migrated again more towards maybe man-made lakes uh other than like the masters and moon Boon, you know events like that but um i still love this natural feel of the being on a natural lake okie dokie uh you seem to have read my mind because i was going the next question i was going to ask both of you is is how you two met up and you mentioned nlu which uh which today is uh, louisiana monroe the warhawks and yeah so let let's Let's try and pick it up from there a little bit. I mean, you 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 both decided to uh, to ski at, uh, collegiately in uh, in nor- northeast northeast Louisiana, and uh, kind of take it from there. I'll uh, point to you on this one, Karen. I mean, it, it feels like a lifetime ago. Um, I mean, you know, I was at Chapel Hill in North Carolina, and then um, my very good friend April Coble, um, she. Had decided she wanted to try. Uh, I mean, we were we were part of the ski club there. It was more of a club than mm-hmm. a ski team. And um, she was dating somebody at the time that was going to NLU. And um, you know, I guess just sort of as the natural events, you know, she was like, "Hey, I want to go down there and hang out with him for a semester." You know, do you want to go too? I mean, it sounds so. Uh, you know, casual, you know, to say, it. but that really was just sort of the way it happened. Um, you know, we did our research, made sure the classes would transfer over because I didn't want to lose like any credit because uh, my intention was always to, to come back um, to North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And yeah, when I was there, um, you know, you spend all the time with the team. And I mean, Freddie was across our dorms were across from each other. So we just naturally ended up you know, kind of hitting it off and spending time together. And I mean, at that point we were, I mean, just like a friendship growing, you know, throughout that semester. Um, and it wasn't really till later, 
that following, I guess that following summer, you know, after we were together, you know, almost every day and then we separated that we, you know, realized like, hey, we want to take the friendship beyond that. Okay, this was around about 1995, 95. 95, about, around about the same time that you, Freddie, were, uh, were starting to, uh, to win uh, Pro Tour starts. But uh, your recollection on how, on, on, on how this uh, pairing came about, we've heard from Karen. What about your side of the deal? No, that's, uh, that was it. We, um, you know, like she said, we, we had dorm, dorm rooms across from each other. And uh, I, don't think we, I think we had one class that actually we were supposed to be in together, and I ended up dropping it because I couldn't handle it. Um, what, what was that class? Geography or geology or something like that. I, but I, um, I would come home from class and, you know, I would keep, you know, set my door open. And then when I'd kind of look out and when she came home and was done studying or whatever, she'd leave her door open and I'd kind of look up and I could see her door a little easier than she could see mine. So I was like, Oh, doors open, you know, and I'd go up and see what she was doing. And, um, Karen, you actually, she actually had a full ride and uh, part of that full ride was a meal ticket. And so she had, uh, she had more money basically on her meal card than I did. So we went to dinner. She bought me a lot of dinners. I, in fact, uh, I'm probably just, you know, just now catching up. Yeah, <laughs> but we, uh, so we had, a, I mean, we, we ate dinner together probably four nights a week just so I could eat, uh, you know, enough. And, um, but yeah, just, you know, an amazing friendship that blossomed. But um, that time apart, that semester, when she went back to Chapel Hill, uh, it would have been a spring, you know, basically like from Christmas through the spring, um, I moved down to Jay's. And, you know, so much going on and getting used to, you know, completely different culture, going to LSU, um, really focused on the skiing and that. But man, it was... Um, it was very evident to me that you know hey, I was missing my best friend, and um, so then we saw each other. I think the Orlando Pro Tour stop was the first one that year, and we got to see each other a little bit there. And then the second one was in Shreveport, Louisiana. It was real early June, I think. Um, uh, the same year, nineteen ninety-five. This is ninety-five. Yeah. yeah. So um, Karen was skiing in the prelims. I guess we both had to ski. Mm-hmm. The what would you? There was a the qualifying round or whatever. It was probably a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah, deal. and so we uh, we skied, and I I made it you know through obviously, and then Karen. Um, I did not. Yeah. So, but before she left, we had a talk that you know, hey, let's let's do this. You know, let's be exclusive, and um, so she got in a car and and headed back to North Carolina, and I stuck around and won my first pro tour stop. So literally the day after you know we started dating i won my first pro tour stop and she's you know literally been there for every single one of them well i can i can i can set i can certainly certainly subscribe to the uh uh, to a little bit of uh, uplift of emotions, you know, that came that, that came along from something like that. I didn't realize that it had that much of an impact upon your uh, <laughs> your, your, your jumping to win your first pro tour stop and take down the likes of what, what who was it? Reberge, Duval, Carrington, Swanson, Ellis, Ellis as well, Jarrett, Jarrett Llewellyn, Clooney. Um Looney in the final as yeah, well, I'm probably. Sure we had, uh, well, I don't, yeah, it's a good point. I'm not sure who all was in that final. I'd have to go back and look. But, um, it, you know, it was, everybody was there. I mean, you know, that was, the, the tour was was definitely legit at that time. So, um, you know, it was it was a full field. Yeah, I mean, I, I hate I missed that because with it being in Louisiana, like all of the Louisiana gang was there, you know, and, and I remember seeing the video four or five weeks later because back then that's about how long it took for you know to catch up and actually see the footage um you surely just, knew that he'd won by that time oh right? yeah oh, he yeah. Ca- he called me i remember i mean i can remember that very clearly i can remember when he called and said guess what and i won <laughs> <laughs> and i was like i couldn't believe it i mean it was just it wasn't what i expected you know he he's always told me you know he had always told me when we were at nlu you know i'm gonna do this and this is you know i'm gonna get there i'm gonna get there uh but when he told me he won it was well, and it, and it didn't fit the bill because it was the first time it was it was the first check I ever made at a pro tournament. It was the first time I'd ever made a final. So you, you know, it's just not the way it's supposed to work. Would you care yeah. to disclose how much that check was for? Uh, I think at the time it was maybe thirty five hundred bucks uh, was first place. I think we were we were jumping. 
I think in 95, we were at about a $12,000 purse. And then um, going into that next year was when we did the uh, H2O Pro Men's Jump uh, Union, if you yeah, will. Yeah, as it went. And uh, we ended up standing strong, and that bumped the prize money to $15,000 for Men's Jump. I think we were the uh, only event that, that had that much. Nice. Um, and it's kind of, unfortunately, it's kind of hovered there and kind of stayed there. But yeah, in 1996, you know, we went went from 12 grand to 15 grand. <sighs> Okay. Uh, while you guys were at NLU, uh, this was during the uh, the spring semester of 1995, or was it the fall? Fall. fall. The fall, fall semester. Fall of 94. Yeah. Fall of 94 or going into 1995. Uh, what, was, what was it like? coaching each other at that at that at that point was it was there i mean obviously you're primarily a slum skier and you i think you skied overall that i was time. skiing overall at that time you were skiing, yeah. skiing overall yeah. um at that time we really didn't ski together per se i mean we were at the lake together but we weren't i mean i wasn't we had i certainly was not in the boat coaching you with for jumping no, um and, and, and god knows i didn't want him driving me slow <laughs> That bad, huh? Well, you could probably say the same thing about me driving him jump at that time. So we've learned a lot in the these last Uh, few years. Uh, (laughs) God for cruise control. Um, Um, Yeah. No. Yeah. I I mean, again, at that point in time, you know, I had I knew who Karen was just because as a junior, she had you know was in the magazine. Some had made some teams. Um, In '94, I actually met her. You know, as in like a, hey, shook her hand, you know, kind of thing, or waved from across the room kind of thing. Okay. Um, and we actually ended up at, at lunch together and kind of sitting on the same end of the table, but, you know, we weren't, that was kind of about as close as we got. Um, so when she came to school, I mean, I remember being excited that she was coming, obviously, because we were excited about our chances, you know, to... Uh, be the number one team in the country and win but it was really more about uh i mean just us getting to i didn't know her well enough that i was just going to jump in and and be coaching her and and you got to understand too at that time i wasn't you know i mean i wasn't even i might have been our best jumper at that time maybe not And, and i certainly wasn't anywhere on the depth chart for slalom and trick so you know we had better more experienced skiers coaches etc that you know she was going to get input from than me at that time okay so we moved back to 1995 uh obviously you'd moved you'd moved in back in back in june of that year to uh, to north Ca- north carolina you you continue to stay down at jay's so <sighs> What 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 was that what was that summer like, Karen? I mean, I mean, I can imagine the phone calls uh, going going between you two, and you know, uh, just just trying to stay in touch, you know, and, uh, and trying to encourage uh, each other from afar. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I think I kind of feel like we took it sort of one step at a time, if you will. I mean, I wasn't making big plans at that time. I mean, I was. I didn't foresee, oh, yeah, we're just going to pick up and like move to Florida together or anything. I didn't see that at that time. Um, I mean, honestly, we had a pretty good amount of tournaments we were seeing each other at. And, you know, I had a strong pull, you know, to stay in North Carolina at that time, you know, was really, you know, very close to my family. Um, And, yeah, I mean, he was still, you know, had commitments and you were, he was still in school. I was kind of finishing up. I had, I had graduated. And at that point, um, I think I was taking a few classes cause I was kind of, you know, what do I want to do with my education? You know? So, um, yeah, I don't know. We were, I mean, just a lot of phone calls and, you know, see each other at the tournaments. And I was at, uh, you know, a- the Cobol ski school had just started that might've been, I don't know if that was their first year or second year opening. So I was actually working down there. That yeah, summer. I think that would have yeah. been the first year because I yeah. actually went to uh, Cobles uh, in the, the summer of what was it, nineteen ninety six or something okay. like that. I couldn't remember. I remember you being there, so um, or us being there together a little bit. So yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I you know I was kind of busy, sort of just doing what I've always you know done, you know, my normal patterns or whatever. And then I don't you know as time goes on. I mean, I was maturing, you know, more adult things and and. Um, and then we, you know, I think like when you were asking about us dating uh, or we, our friendship at NLU, I don't really necessarily remember us talking about a lot of ski stuff. We were just really enjoying each other as just, you know, 
human beings or what you know it, it wasn't it wasn't all about skiing and then I think as we started dating then we started sharing more and more about you know our what we want to do with skiing and and you know maybe some dreams and and make plans and things like that yes you still had a, a lot of time to go uh, before you graduated, right? I mean, because, uh, at, at, at that time you were at school and then you moved down to Jay's. And then from there you you got into the uh, the MBA graduate program. Am, am I right on that one? No, I uh, I was just that slow getting through school. Um, <laughs> no, I uh, when I transferred from NLU to LSU, uh, I, it, you know, was, I had, th- had completed three semesters of school and I lost a semester's worth of classes. It didn't transfer, wow. um, which my folks were not, were not crazy about, but my dad did like the idea of, you know, graduating from, you know, a, a Louisiana, you know, an LSU versus an NLU. Um, and I had free room and board living at Jay's. So it was, it kind of offset the, the cost difference. Um, but so I graduated in December of 98 with just a bachelor's degree. And I remember probably December of 97 walking into the counselor's office and just saying, hey, look on your sheet there and, and tell me what gets me out of school fastest. You know, I'm I'm ready to be make, you know, I'm making a little money skiing. I'm ready to be done with this. What how do I get out of the school? What's the fastest route out? And, you know, I had spent some time um looking at like an accounting degree and stuff like that. And he said, well, the fastest way out is marketing. I said, great, switch me to marketing and let's get this done. And, <laughs> um, and you know, cause I mean, Karen, she was done with school and, uh, but I, you know, we weren't, she wasn't gonna necessarily move back and, and us live at Jay's. So I knew the quicker I could get out, then the quicker we could be together and the quicker I could move on to, uh, you know, trying to chase this dream of being a pro skier. All right, so uh, so you, so you did all, so you did all of that at Jay's, and I mean you, uh, I mean, in my earliest recollection, uh, I did a little bit of work at Jay's as well. Uh, just just uh, you know, full disclaimer there, and both you and Freddie. Uh, were, were 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 spending your weekends at Pro Tour stops and stuff like that. This is where it gets a. This is where it gets a, li- a little bit uh, a little bit sideways because not only was Freddie jumping at that time, but you were also trying to. Uh, no, be a, be a professional wakeboarder at that time. Uh, how how did how did that uh, how did that shape up? I blame Ryan Wynn for that mainly. Um, he was a, a young man from Texas that that came over and was in high school, moved in at, uh, with Jay and Ann, and he was a three event skier. I mean, that's why he was there. But he got into wakeboarding, uh, fell in love with Tara Hamilton. And the next thing I knew, he was, you know, pulling me into helping him with his, you know, his, his writing and, and whatever. And the next thing I knew I was doing it. And it, it just, at the time, it seemed like such a good idea, <laughs> you know, and, and the idea was nobody had really successfully crossed over and from being a skier to a wakeboarder and been able to do both. You know, we had Jeremy Kovac who... As far as I know, is the only person to ever make a slalom final. I think he did all. We called it the the three event at the tour at that time. He made a jump final, a slalom final, and a wakeboard final um, in Indianapolis. And so, but he was only ever known as a wakeboarder. And I I kind of thought I could bridge that gap. And I had a couple of good events. Uh, you know, I won a Moomba Masters one year. Um, finished fourth in the world championships. I made six of eight pro tour finals one year. Um, you know, I was, I was a, I don't think I, you could ever say I was necessarily a contender, but I was, you know, a legitimate finalist week in week out kind of thing. But, uh, just the abuse on the body in a different way from what jumping was doing was, was getting, uh, kind of tearing me down. And then, uh, but when we moved to Florida in that December of 98, um, Karen had a, she had a pro star and I had a, a wakeboard boat. I had an X star. And so we were going out to the lake that Ronnie Barton lives on today, corner Lake. And we would, uh, pull Karen tricks and slalom. and slalom. That's right. Tricks mm-hmm. and slalom. And I would wakeboard and then we would go back to, uh, Dan Reaney's lake. I can't remember Long Lake, 
and we would take a jump set. And um, w- right after we bought this place, still had the X-Star when we were here, um, Mastercraft kind of, the tour had split and it was getting harder for me to do both. And um, we just, Mastercraft at that time uh, was Skip Gilkerson. They just weren't comfortable. They didn't love the idea of me doing both. They kind of wanted me to choose one or the other, and that was a very short conversation. And um, so that at that, I don't know, that probably would have been around 2000, 2001, I guess, that I just hung up the wakeboard and uh, went back to focusing on, on jumping. But, I mean, there, you know, Karen, you know, she drove the hell out of that wakeboard boat for, you know, I was out there doing, you know, double backflips and on double ups and, and all of that. I mean, she, I mean, there's a lot of people that know she can drive the hell out of a jump boat, but she drove that wakeboard boat as good as anybody out there. And I mean, and I mean, as well, there's that whole cultural thing that, that, that cultural separation that comes between water skiing and wakeboarding, because I knew that I, I knew and, and Jay, Jay will affirm this, you know, that you, that you try to, you know, try to get you know get get stylistically you know <laughs> similar to uh, uh to uh, to to some of the wakeboarders out there uh, that which didn't meet meet much of an approval from uh, from jay or um, or or probably even your parents at this time I, well i mean the woman sitting next to me honestly was uh incredibly patient i guess through those times you would say because there was a dealer day's in Tennessee where I showed up with bleach white hair. Um, I had a shaved head at one point in time, but that was before wakeboarding. But uh, yeah, you know, earrings and, and yeah, I mean, and I mean, that was wakeboarding, right? Like it was, it was as much about the culture and the look. Um, It was much less about the maneuver or the trick that you did. And it was more about how you did it and and how you looked doing it. And so uh, if you were going to play the game, you had to go all in and, um, so I did it for a while, and uh, and I mean, hey, I I enjoyed it. There was I had a lot of fun doing it. Uh, I met some amazing people, you know, Sean Murray and guys like that that I'm still friends with. Parks and um, you know, I mean, it it is amazing group of people. But uh, you know, the other thing too was, ironically, at that time I would have been twenty six, twenty seven. I mean, I was kind of an old man on that tour because I mean a lot of these kids I mean Parks would have been what 14 15 you know like it was so you know talk about sticking out like a sore thumb and uh so blending in was a good thing you know it was it was helping me in in that aspect but um my I wasn't wired right for it I didn't have the creativity um that I think wakeboarding you know I always said uh, wakeboarding was less of a sport and more of an art form um in my mind a sport is you know, I ran more buoys than you did. I jumped further than you did. I ran from this spot to that spot in a faster time than you did. It was very, you know, to me, sports are very measurable. You know, tangible. Yeah. And and wakeboarding was, like I said, was so much more of an art form. And I, you know, the, the frustration for me was real when I would go to an event and, and uh, you know, maybe I didn't get scored well and I would go to the judges and ask them why. And they'd say, oh, well, you know, you didn't do this, this and this. And the next weekend I would show up and do this, this and this. But that weekend, that's not what they were looking for. It had changed. And I mean, it literally got to a point where I would go to, you know, Bischoff was one of the judges at the time. And I would go to him and say, hey, what you guys looking for this weekend? You know, like help a brother out. <laughs> and he'd help me out, you know. And, he, and and that was the year I made six of the eight finals was, you know, I was leaning on Bish to say, hey, what what do I need to do here to get over this hump? And so it was, yeah, I mean, you're not kidding about it being a, it was a cultural phenomenon that I wasn't. It was a game I wasn't used to playing, for sure. And uh, Karen, I know I, I I I saw that expression on your face. So you you're wanting you're wanting to chime in here a little bit with uh, with with this whole with this whole uh, phase that of uh, of Freddie's career that uh, not too many people are uh, readily. Uh, recollect but it's but it, it is what it is yeah i mean I, I i barely do but now he's telling stories you know things are kind of a few things popping back in my in my mind because it does seem like it was so long ago but i mean it's you know it's it's kind of wild to think think about you know what you were i mean you were three of inning as well you know you weren't just jumping yeah. you know you were three of inning and and wakeboarding um and you know it did as a skier 
at that time, it did feel like, hey, there's another direction that the industry is wanting to go. And it was concerning for us years because that's it just seemed like that was where all the attention was being placed. Um, you know, was on wakeboarding. And I mean, I think that is something that uh, I mean, if you know Freddie, you know, at all, I think it's it's easy to see that. I mean, he's he's very good at uh, at pivoting, you know, whatever is kind of thrown his way. He can make something of it. And, you know, I mean, I think I think, he, you know, he's such a natural athlete. You know, he was you know very good on the trampoline and, you know, flipping and stuff like that. Likes being in the air, obviously. You know, it was a good fit. But I also think um, just his mental um the mentality that he has, you know, hey, this is something that this is an opportunity and I'm going to pursue it. So, I mean, you know, it's just kind of interesting now to be like a little bit more to be older and to look back on it, you know, with a different perspective. You know, I, I guess I, I mean, it was very cool at the time he was trying to do it. And, and, you know, looking back on it now when I'm older, I mean, I'm even more impressed that he tried to put it all together. Now, I know that amongst uh, Freddie's uh, other pursuits are basketball. Uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But uh, what other pursuits uh, beyond the sport of water skiing do you have? Any, 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 anything, anything like basketball or anything like that? I mean, I played very, very, I hate to even mention it because it was, uh, I played a little bit of volleyball in, mm. in school. Very little. So, um, and then I did play basketball all the way through um, middle school and high school. And I always enjoyed just, so I played and then I certainly, you know, I still to this day enjoy watching more college basketball, but I definitely enjoy basketball. And, you know, I, I do have to, even though Freddie, you know, was involved with basketball, I do take credit for getting our kids involved in basketball. I think it's important. I think it's a great sport, you know? So yeah, basketball mainly was the, what I had time for. And I remember that double page spread in Water Ski Magazine with you trying to uh, uh, to, to fake everyone into believing that you can that you can slam. No, 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 no. Now for that picture, it is true. We did have a uh, a small trampoline to uh, to get the photo because Doug Duquesne couldn't get the shot when I was doing it and we, he, Oh, I missed it. I missed it by, you know, about 12 tries later, I was out of gas. So we had to resort to the, uh, the trampoline, but, um, but no, I, uh, Therefore, I mean, in high school, I was telling Dash the other night because he's, you know, he's a freshman in high school and, and you know, thinking about trying to make his freshman team. And um, in fact, last night we were talking about it. And, and I said, you know, you, you, do you think I was good at basketball? And he's like, yeah. And I said, do you think I made all my basketball teams? Yeah. And I said, you know, I, I did. I made my freshman team and I got very little playing time. You know, I, my sophomore team, uh, again, I made it. I think I got even less playing time. And my varsity years, I chose to not be on my high school team, and I played in a church league just so I could get more playing time. And it was it was when I got into college that, you know, we were playing intramurally and uh, at Jay's, I mean, my God, a pickup game, you know, twice a day kind of thing, it seemed like. So that's really when I kind of got a little better at basketball. But my the thing I always hung my hat on was I got to a point where I could dunk a basketball um better in a a gymnasium than on the concrete courts it's it's hard on a concrete court but um for a short period of time there yeah i could uh i could in fact dunk a basketball all right then so let's move a little bit to who you guys actually uh, actually uh trained with i'll I'll go to you first uh first garen because i i know I, i know pretty much uh the 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 cadre of skiers that were at Bennett's at the time that that you were jumping and you were you know going going out there at like lunchtime you know and just having a mini jump tournament but uh, but Karen did you did you get to ski with uh, with a comparable uh, cadre of skiers when it, whenever you were either at Cobalt's place or, uh, or 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 Jay's I mean yes and yes uh, well when I was at you know. As you know, I mean, April and I grew up, you know, forever together. So we, I mean, there was, we always had that kind of built in uh, competition. You know, April, obviously a very, you know, um, fantastic skier herself. I mean, that was an amazing gift to me uh, to have her, you know, with me every day, us pushing each other. Um, and, you know, at Jay's, 
uh, I mean, you know, Ben Favre was there. Um, you know, Freddie's sister Lori was there at the time. I mean, it was definitely more of a jump you know, environment. Um, and at the time I was, I was still three of any. And I mean, if you'd have asked me at that time, which way did I want to take my skiing? It was more jumping. I mean, I, you know, I was more naturally gifted at slalom, but I wanted to learn to jump. And I mean, I, I definitely, I put my, you know, the effort in, you know, and I had a crash in 97 that set me back, um, you know, towards the end of the year, just with an ankle injury. And then, um, you know, wish I would have, you know, looking back now, wish I would have just had the resources, you know, to, to recover from that a little bit better. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, it was definitely more, uh, more, you know, more jump. Um, but you know, just people like, you know, Simon Hill was there, you know, he was on the tour. Um, yeah, I mean, it was just, you know, now, you know, Freddie mentioned cruise control. I mean, having cruise control now is just totally changed everything. I mean, you know, it's back then I remember we all would just, you know, you would scramble. I mean, you probably remember this when you were there, we were all scrambling. We, we knew who the good, good slalom driver was. We knew who the good jump driver was. And I mean, it, you were to try to get, you weren't even, you weren't just trying to get on the water. You wanted to get on the water with that person behind the wheel. Yeah. Um, because you knew how important it was to get that, that set behind that person. Cause it made such a difference. So, um, I mean, yeah, I, I think just yeah, being in that environment at Jay's was important. And then also, you know, at, at Cobles, just, you know, being able to ski uh, with April, you know, whether it was literally in the boat with each other or just, you know, hey, I can watch from the shore and kind of see what she does. And then that kind of gives me, you know, a little bit of a mm -hmm. competitive air, you know, today. That was I mean, that was really good for my skiing. Lunch times at Jay, as as I as I previously alluded to, were like a throwdown. Mm -hmm. weren't they had uh, for for you, Freddie, when you strapped on those jumpers. Yeah, I mean, and then you know, really, even after you know, when ski school was over, you had guys like Scott Smith that would come over from uh, ULL and. Um, drop in Mike you know Mike Heath was there for a while so we I mean it, you know Mike was there a lot of the times during the summer as well but um yeah I mean I, I tell the story that there was one summer I believe I'm I, I don't think I'm exaggerating I believe we had uh maybe 16 staff members sounds about right that took off for a pro tour between you know the Sherry Sloans and the Mark Shaws and the you know Freddies and Karens and everything, I mean, like it it went from a packed house to a ghost town, you know, on a Thursday afternoon as everybody flew out to go for the challenge rounds on Friday, and so when you had that many, and, and I mean, we we probably had six or seven of the men's jump field came from Jays, so yeah, every day was a challenge and a, and I mean, I that's the, I mean, I think. You know, I've always made the comment that the, you know, I am the jumper I am today because of all the people that I had to jump against. And I remember doing a, a interview on the back of a boat out here with Jarrett Llewellyn, um, where, you know, un, no question, I wouldn't be the jumper I am today without the rivalry that I had with Jarrett. Um, but that I can trace that back all the way, you know, to Jay's, to my time at NLU, to even going back even further to my time in Decatur, Illinois at the pits. I've always had that advantage. And I think, you know, Karen had that with coming up in the community that she was in. Not only did she have April, but there were other people coming in for tournaments that, you know, she was getting to see on a frequent enough basis. And, you know, I talk about that with our kids, you know, and their skiing is, you know, hey, there's always somebody out there that you can't see that's coming. But we, you know, what we want to do is expose them. And as soon as they get to a point where, okay, well, you know, little Johnny here in my division, I, I outskied him. Well, great. Look at, look a division up. Who's, who's next? You know, there's always somebody that you should be skiing against because somebody is chasing you all the time. So far as rivalries, I mean, I mean, Freddie just mentioned it there, like like six out of the seven people at jumpers in the challenge round basically came from Zachary Louisiana with one or two others and Jarrett Llewellyn. Who did who did you have to compete uh, in 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 that in that similar era around about that time? I mean, like Karen Neville and uh, and and the like and the likes of those or or was uh, Camille Devalster at the tail end of her career? Really? Uh, no, they were. I mean, I, my early, early pro tour was more, um, I mean, Dina, I don't, I mean, I knew, knew Camille. Actually, I think I went to like, I went to Sammy and Camille's, uh, ski school, but I, I mean, it wasn't, there weren't too many tournaments that I skied against Camille. Um, 
I can't remember obviously what, what year she you know retired, but I, rem- I do remember Dina. And then there was, there was Christy, you know, Christy, Susie, Susie, yeah. Um, Helena, Jennifer, all the tall girls. Yeah. <laughs> you know, all the all tall the girls. Tony um, yeah. T- oh, Tony, of course, you know, mainly that group was more when I was getting going on the, on the tour, that was that group of women was, was the, you know, Christy, Susie, Helena, Tony, Jennifer. All right. And, uh, just, and, and just kind of give, give us a, give us a little bit of a, uh, uh, of a feel. I mean, I mean, you're, you're matched up against those rivals. I mean, I mean, how successful were you, were you generally, uh, um, amongst them? I mean, you're, you're running into 11, two, five meters, uh, 38 off, uh, mo- mo- most weekends and, uh, and the odd excursion into 39. Um, no, not back then. I mean, back then it was, you know, if you ran 35, I think I rem- if you could run a co- maybe the challenge round, cause they, you know, they protected, the skiers the and that group of skiers was protected so i you know they would uh there were two spots on friday so we would challenge and you know and then amongst that group was good skiers so you know of course depending on the site and the conditions and things like that i mean if you got through 35 at that time you were most likely going to make it to the, the semifinals, and then you know i think they maybe cut to four you know um and I mean, I, I don't think I ever made it into those four. I was never, um, never that caliber of skier at that time. Um, you know, I was, I mean, honestly, I was shorter. I was one of the shorter skiers and, you know, it, and they all definitely told me about it. Um, and you know, it was, uh, I mean, the conditions were tough and, um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't till really the 99, 2000, I started kind of breaking through, um, you know, through the, like the masters, you know, I started actually, you know, over the years have skied pretty skied very well, like as far as making it into the finals of the masters and all the years I've skied, I've made, you know, majority of my, of the finals in there. I, I'd done well on Robin Lake. Um, and I would say that was kind of some, some, you know, my breakthrough was when I finally started qualifying for the masters. Um, at Which, that point, it's worth is, stating it at that time to qualify for the masters, they took the top four something like that. It was like top three off the world ranking, top three off the pro tour, top three off the world cup. You know, there was like these different So no, no LCQ or anything like that. Uh, they, there was an there LCQ, was an L- but there's yeah. an asterisk with that. And I'll, I'll tell that, but it was, so you had the top four of the world cup, top three of the pro tour, top three, maybe on the world rankings list, but you got to know there's a tremendous amount of overlap in those, mm-hmm. you know, if mm-hmm. you were the top three on the pro tour, you were probably also the top three in the, you know, World Cup, and so like, like Maple could qualify in every mm-hmm. single exactly, yeah. exactly, and that and I mean that was a goal uh, that you wanted to do that as an athlete because you were blocking other competitors, you know, from making it to the Masters, and it just kind of made that job a little easier there. And then when you start talking about the LCQs at that time at Travers, what you have to know is at that time it was arguably the greatest jump lake in the world, and arguably the hardest slalom lake in the world, and there was always a, a a score that you had to a minimum that you had to set, and I mean year after year after year, nobody could meet that score. You couldn't go. You somebody would go and win, but you didn't meet the minimum requirement to go to the Masters because it was the hardest place in the world to slalom. So yeah, for a man-made lake, for it a was man-made like, lake, it, it was, was it was insane. very strange. I don't know, but that you know when she for the audience at home when you hear. You know, oh, well, this was a time where running 35 off was a big deal. You have to understand, you have to travel back in time and imagine the places that we were skiing at with, you know, concrete walls down the side and bounce buck and rollers and the odd occasional boat just choosing to go by. And there's a show. We're not stopping. Sorry for your misfortune. The buoys were size of beach balls, right? Mm -hmm. Because you couldn't have little buoys. You wouldn't have been able to see them with the white caps going over them. You know, the boats had wakes that were, you know, look closer to today's wakeboard boats than they do our ski boats i mean so the there binding. were more t- so there were more tournaments back in those days that were just an absolute hot mess so far as the conditions it, as an athlete i mean we used to have an expression that you got moonbud and mm-hmm. and it was i mean that was a real thing for for people that would go to to they, i mean you i mean i try to explain this to people you know you you get on the first thing you do is you you put you know at that time it was probably 
two grand to, in today's dollars. It's you know you're going to lay five thousand dollars on a table and get a you know a plane ticket, a hotel, you know cabs, Ubers, whatever, food to go over there, entry fees and everything, and you go over there and you may just get this random you know, two foot roller that comes down the Yara and you don't run your opening pass, have a couple of beers and get on a plane and fly back home. You know, I mean, that's, I've, I've always told people we're more professional gamblers than we are, you know, professional water skiers because that's what we're doing is we're, we're laying money on a table that we're going to go and make more money. Right. But we used to call it getting moombud. And I remember, you know, 1996, I believe was the year that Carl went undefeated on the U.S. Pro Tour. Seven of the eight Pro Tour stops were white cap tailwinds. And if it was a white cap tailwind, it was a white cap run for the slalom skiers, too. You know, they were out there skiing in absolute garbage. And, you know, but it was it was it, it we weren't happy about it, but it was what was expected. We weren't complaining about it either. You just went to work but so those scores when they were out there running through 35 off and and you know getting into 38 at that time i mean that's that's the equivalent of running 38 and getting into 39 or running 39 and getting into 41 as far as i'm concerned because i mean it, it was to say it was challenging would be the understatement of the year so so karen uh how in your best recollection how many times would you say you've gotten moombered you know, no, um, I have one good memory of it. Um, oh, and wait, there's a difference no, between getting moved and getting screwed. Yeah, probably. I did have um, <clears throat> I did have a not so fun experience. The my first. I guess that was my first Moomba. And it was a, a unusual situation. They had Moomba, and it was also a World Cup. So they had, we had two different rounds. Well, we had, we had, it was cumulative. Well, Moomba. This story's not going to be great. I'm not going to remember it. Moomba, you had a cut. And yeah. then the World Cup was a cumulative score from, they added the scores from the two rounds. And the first, yeah, my first uh, first round, I went around a buoy, and for some reason, and I fell, like it was a half of a buoy, no questions asked, and then I'm swimming in, and I'm like, why did they just give me two? I, I fell around three. And, you know, no, no video review, no nothing, and that was all she wrote. So the next round, I came up short, you guessed it. A half a buoy <laughs> cumulatively <laughs> to help me get into the World Cup final. Um, so, needless to say, it was not a fun uh, ride back to the hotel. So, yes, that was that was my number one Moomba Moomba experience. But um, but other than that, it was you know everything else and, was. And I can still to this day me. remember like to having a conversation with Andy Mapple. Like we went and talked to Andy, and, and you know, like what do we do? And he had that real loud hard laugh. And then he just said, you got Moombud. Yeah, welcome just, to the club or yeah, whatever, welcome, you know. Welcome it's to just, Moomba. Yeah. You'll, you'll get them next time. Yeah. And, you know, and you're, when you're in the moment, you're just, you, you're thinking, no, that's not good enough. But, you know, now here we are, whatever it is, 28 years later, and still a little upset about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, you, I mean, aside from Moomba, you two have uh, traveled the world, you know, especially with the World Cup back in the day with the IWWF. And I vividly remember you trying to actually take a halfway, I wouldn't even say a decent cut at the jump in, in, in some river in China. You know, I think I, I, think I still still have, have a very, very vivid memory of, of, of that. And I think you, you were there as well, possibly? No, I Not decided to skip the, yeah, the China trips other than the worlds. But so, yeah, I wouldn't have been there. No, yeah, Karen... Karen did China once and that was enough. Um, I had a couple of trips. We didn't have a lot of luck with our, our jump stops there. We had uh, one, one World Cup where we showed up and I didn't even get to practice. We didn't even make it to the prelims. They had a storm come through and the ramp uh, disappeared. <laughs> And when I say it disappeared, I mean, as in like, they couldn't find it. It's on the bottom of that lake somewhere. And it was a huge lake. And um, so, you know, Scotty, Scotty Ellis, you know, joked that he made 250 bucks because he sold his sling on that trip. You know, um, the rest of us <laughs> didn't even unzip our jump bags. But the uh, the other one, the one you're referring to was in it was actually a very cool. It was the right idea. And, you know, that was the thing, you, you know, when you're there in the moment and you're scared to death for your life and your career, it's it's hard to be 
excited about you know some of the the conditions that we found ourselves in with the World Cup, but it, basically we were in a in a canal that had concrete walls on both sides, and they had a jump there, and the first two or three jumps that you took in the event. The, the you know the rollers hadn't made it back yet and they they had an, a you know some attempt at a bounce back control but it, by about the fifth or sixth lap of the lake it basically became a bathtub that was just so beyond safe it wasn't even funny but um you know we had to do a show and so we went out there and i think a lot of the guys did some singles and uh i remember you know des and kuno were getting pretty anxious because um obviously the chinese had you know, they knew what three quarters and doubles look like. And so I went out there and did a, you know, an easygoing three quarter or double. And I, you know, just basically bounced onto the ramp and made it about 55 meters through the fist. And, and we celebrated baby. Um, <laughs> but you know, again, in the moment, those were not fond memories. You know, it was, they were, because you're, you're scared to death of, of what's going to happen. You're, you know, you're, you're worried about how the, what are the finances on this? How are they going to work out? Are we going to get paid? Are we not going to get paid? Um, you know, now you look back on it and, you know, those are some of the memories that you'll probably are the most vivid, you know, again, because of the fear that you were dealing with at the time. And, but, um, you know, those were, you know, we, we had a chance to, to travel the world together, um, and see some of the most amazing places and, and the most amazing people. And, and, you know, again, it, we were not on vacation though, right? Like you're stressed out, you're there to, you know, to do a job and all that, but we can look back on, I mean, there were, there are a lot of, you know, amazing, wonderful memories and a lot of amazing, wonderful people that we, we met along the way, um, that, you know, we didn't have to do it by going into the armed forces or anything like that. You know, it was, it was a cool, cool path. All right then. So uh, obviously, it it definitely took a different type of skier, but back in the day to to deal with those types of conditions, uh, however rough they were, however subpar they were. D- uh, I mean, comparing that to to today's athlete uh, that's coming up, uh, com- coming through, and you know. No, putting 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 their imprint on on the top of the uh, the the water ski standings, water water ski pro tour, or what what have you. Do you do you do either of you believe that that the skiers today have have, have are lacking the toughness that used to be so prevalent back then? No, I wouldn't. I mean, I personally wouldn't say that. I would. I guess I'd. I'd give them a benefit of the doubt because I mean, there's a lot of, um, I mean, hey, when you're in your 20s, you know, it's you. There's a go for it attitude that, um, you know, just by design, that's what a 20 something year old, you know, that all, you know, that's more of what's in, you know, in them. But no, I mean, I don't, I don't know that I would say that. I think it's just, I don't know if opportunity is the. Um, is the word, but you know, the circumstances just haven't necessarily been there. Well, I think it's exposure. So, I mean, think about the fact that, you know, when they had the worlds in Malaysia, I mean, they were people losing their minds. That was one of our best, safest, nicest world cup stops. You know, that was a, I mean, we had this amazing place. We were staying right there on site. You know, I mean, I, Karen won that event not long after having a baby. Um, and when I say not long, as in like, what, like three, four months after having a baby going out there and skiing in those types of conditions. And, um, you know, I, I won the, the world cup jump there that year. Um, but again, we had been exposed to so much of that, you you know, the, the group of people that were the younger generation that you're talking about now, when they were exposed to it, you know, some of their heads were ready to explode, but it's not because they're not tough. It's because it's, they hadn't been exposed to it before. They weren't used to it. If you would have taken us at that time and put us in what that kind of a culture shock, what the Malaysia culture shock was for this generation, if you'd have done that to us, you know, we would have been skiing in the ocean, you know, or whatever like that. But we, you know, we would have had struggled with that kind of a experience change in exposure as well. So I don't think it's a toughness. I think it's a, um, like I say, just, just a, being exposed to what 
it, the expectations are or what you know conditions are. I mean, quite honestly, if we just went back to the old buoys, people would lose their minds. If we went back to the old boats, if we went back to, you know, like th- there's so many things that you could immediately and instantly make the younger generation completely uncomfortable, but they'd adapt to it. They'd get used to it. They would, and then they wouldn't be. And then we'd be talking about how tough they are. So it's, I, I, don't, I don't think it's a toughness issue. I do think it's just a, an exposure issue. I mean, there wasn't, I mean, it, it just, the tournaments were just, that's where they were. I mean, that we didn't know any different. Um, yeah. You know, the leaders of the sport, as far as I knew, you know, as somebody who was like a young and up and comer, I didn't, I never heard them complain. Um, I almost think they kind of, you know, you sort of wore it like a badge, like, hey, you know, I'm, I can go out and ski in that. But, you know, if you look at, I mean, there were so, there were so few man-made lakes at that time. You know, to, so we didn't even we just didn't know any different. And it was I mean, if I, you probably compared everybody at that time, if you compared where they practiced, I mean, it, they weren't probably that all that nice of practice sites either. You know, so it was just it's just where the sport was at that time. All right, then I can certainly gel. I can certainly gel with that. I was exposed to a good few of those uh, <laughs> of, of, of those uh, those horrid sights uh, back in the day. But uh, let's let's try and pivot a little bit to to something that uh, that a lot that most skiers are uh, trying to avoid at all costs, but would alternate or would ordinarily encounter them anyway. Injuries uh, between the two of you, you've you've had long skiing careers and you've largely. Uh, avoided the most serious of, of injuries, like like the career-ending type, and and I mean, and I mean when when I recall you actually trying to describe the jump event to 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 the good folks, uh, it was on a Mastercraft video. You know, it, it's you you're, you you position the boat away from the jump from where you're cutting. You know, and uh, you you say if you if you hit the side curtain, you're just a split second away from doing something else. You know, so so you're so you're quite self aware in 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 regards to of avoiding situations that could potentially be career ending but uh, let let let's go on to the prem- premise of how how you've been able to to stay on the on the water for as long as you have and uh, what what have you what have you done to uh, to achieve that um well, for me personally i i mean i have suffered a, you know a fair amount of injury um, throughout the years, I mean, I've done both knees, so I've had both ACLs done, um, and then, you know, pretty significant an- ankle injury, um, you know, and then had the, you know, the two, the two kids, you know, they're not an injury, but it does obviously set you back. So, um, I mean, you know, for me, I think I didn't come from, um, a culture that s- stressed, um, a ton of skiing you know I didn't like you know it's hard to it's hard to know exactly what someone else is doing but I do get the feeling that um there were a lot of people that skied a heck of a lot more than than I did I mean I had an off season you know being in North Carolina you know I stopped skiing in October and didn't um return until April or you know probably March April um you know, we'd do a couple, like the Christmas, you know, the vacation times we, I'd spend, um, maybe at a ski school or something like that. So I had a, a significant off season, um, did other things. And then, you know, even when I was down here in Florida, um, you know, I mean, I would, didn't have necessarily a significant off season, but I, d- I definitely took time off. So I don't know. I mean, I don't think Freddie would say that I'm an over skier, uh, yeah, an over, over trainer, over skier, um, and I think that's helped throughout the years. I do. I mean, I've done a good job of listening to to my body. And then with the injuries, I think I, you know, did a good job of um, doing what needed to be done. You know, I went ahead and, you know, I, I could have waited and maybe not got my knee, re, you know, my knees repaired or whatever. But I decided to go ahead and take care of it so that it didn't give me, you know, trouble later. Um, yeah, I don't I mean, well. So I'm going to make Karen a little uncomfortable here, but I, I think this needs to be stated. They're avoiding injury and, and all the things that she just said are, are, are definitely, I mean, she has worked incredibly hard to stay fit, to, you know, stay strong, not overtrain, balance that out, balance. But 
um, you know, I've been around a lot of people who, you know, you see them sports center specials, somebody gets hurt and they, you know, they look how hard they train and they fight back and they come back and, Ooh, they got back sooner than expected. Um, you know, when, when I broke Karen's ankle in 1996, right before the Patty classic, um, she crashed right before the tournament. We put her on a plane, iced it all the way there. And she jumped the first round basically on a broken ankle. And then we, then we got home and then the second round of x-rays, it was really broken by then. So it was easy to see. So, you know, that was a delay, right? But, you know, in 1999, she blew out her right knee, um, was back skiing. Wait, 99 was the world's, is that when you skied the world's with no ACL? That was 01. That was 01. Okay, so 99. Missed the world. Yeah. Missed the world. Mm-hmm. Did the rehab, was back on tour. The next year. The yeah. next year. It, so what, seven months? Training mm-hmm. within six months, basically mm-hmm. on a slalom ski, within seven months, back on the skis, jumping. And oh, by the way, at that time, they introduced five and a half foot ramp and yes. we were ski flying. Fine. So she's coming back from a, 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 and I mean, again, anybody else up to that time, if you were back in a year, because again, remember the time of the medicine and that, that was, you know, that was insane and created, you know, at seven months, she's ski flying, you know, which, which was terrifying on its own. And she's having to do it on a surgically repaired knee seven months in. Oh, one, she does the other knee, holds off on the surgery, goes to the world championships in Italy, uh, makes the finals, finishes. Uh, fifth. Fifth on, you know, no ACL, comes home, has the surgery in 01. So that would have been October, October. of 01. In March of 02, she won the Moomba Masters, which was her first professional slalom tournament. So what is that? You know, November, December, January, February, March, five months later. Right. And she did jump some. And, uh, but at that point in time, we were like, Hey, this win and slalom things is pretty cool. So let's <laughs> focus on that. But you know, when dash was born on March 17th, did you ski that masters? No, no, that. had a, okay. So what year was yeah, this? That was 09. This was 09. 09. And uh, you know, I don't think I'm TMI here, but you know, I mean, had a C-section and was, we were, I mean, right up to the the day of leaving, trying to make a decision of whether or not she should or could ski and, and, and chose not to. Um, fast forward, you know, in five years in 2014, she has a C-section on April 2nd and skied the Masters that year and missed the finals by a quarter of a buoy. Right? Mm-hmm. So um, when I tell you that you know, I was there in 99 when, when we would drive out to Claremont and she would do therapy for an hour and a half, you know, cause it's only supposed to be an hour, but Karen had to do a little extra. And then we would go from there and go to the gym and Freddie was going to work out, but Oh, Karen worked out the whole time next to him. You know, when I saw all the work and all the focus and, you know, she didn't necessarily keep herself from injury. She just fought through it like nobody I've ever seen. I, I could never fathom coming back and working as hard as she did in those times. And, and again, the, the thing that you're fighting is it's, is just this fear. And so for some people that might be hard to understand, but you know, when this is what you do for a living, this is what you've put so much of your, your entire life's focus, all your energy, your identity is wrapped up into it. And you know that, I mean, no disrespect to the industry, but next man up, meaning you lose that contract and somebody else just slid into your spot. And that's a, you know, that's the difference between you being able to keep doing this or not. You know, you're, I don't think a lot of people understand that. And and she has never gotten the attention or the credit that she deserved for, I mean, I, you know, we're, we're still talking about, you know, with all due respect, we're talking about people who have two and three year olds and we're impressed that they're back in skiing. I mean, she had a two month old and was there skiing. You know I mean? Like it's, it's, it, but again, it was, it was a different time and it might not have been the best thing to do in all seriousness. We probably pushed the envelope, but you've got to understand the mentality it takes to push that envelope is why she's still here skiing today at 49 years old against the children of the people she was skiing against, you know, in 2000. Wow, that putting that in perspective, oh my word, that that I mean that 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 just boggles the mind, really. But 
during that during that whole answer you touched upon something that uh, that i'm so glad that you raised ski flying that scourge that uh, that that uh, that seemed to be planted in amongst water ski jumping with the sole purpose of taking someone out from the sky and then dropping them as hard as possible while while trying to jump jump the length of a football field now let me ask you first karen your experience of uh, of, of ski flying uh, i mean i mean it was it was just the the thing going on with the sport of that time you know i mean if you if you wanted to jump professionally you need to do it off a faster boat longer line modified jump ski flying uh before I ask Freddie mm-hmm. about his experiences with ski flying, which I think are pretty much legendary in 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 the first and the second instances, but what about you? Yeah, our experience with ski flying's <laughs> going to be a little different. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, at least I mean I did do it. You did um, it. I mean, yeah, it kind of goes back to when we were having that conversation about Freddie wakeboarding, and I made the comment about you know pivoting because that's what the industry was was doing. That's what the industry was doing. And so if you wanted to keep playing the game, and I did, you know, you, you needed to ski fly. Um, you know, and for me, it was tough, like Freddie said, because I was coming back from ACL and, you know, the base of the, just, you know, our traditional jumping, they had already made some changes. You know, we were going faster. Um, and then to have to turn around and then, you know, learn to ski fly. But, you know, I mean, I guess you could say, I mean, I was at least around, I mean, I, I had the fortunate, um, you know, experience to be able to be around a good group of people that, you know, if, I mean, if anybody knew what they were doing, you know, it was them, you know, I was around, I mean, obviously Freddie and then, you know, Bruce and Tony, um, and they were, they were amazing helping all of us get going and trying to, you know, give us tips and figure it out. And, you know, when we, all of us like rode our skis and had access to the boats. So, I mean, I was very fortunate in that, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was just something that if you wanted to still, if you wanted to pursue professional you know, jumping at that time, you know, you had, you needed to dabble in the, you know, and commit to doing the ski flying. I think we also wanted to just see what was all about. You know, it wasn't, um, again, you know, I mean, you, you know, if you're a jumper, you kind of have a certain mentality anyway. And then, you know, to try to take it to, you know, Hey, let's just see what this feels like, you know, and let's all have fun doing this together. You know, it was, it was a, I mean, it was an amazing, it was an amazing time looking back on it. An amazing experience. A lot of, a lot of good memories. Yeah. But again, there, it was, uh, there was a little bit stole. I feel like there was a little bit of that stolen from you because we were dealing with the knee at that time. And so like, just, just riding your skis was hurting. Then we're right now you're riding your skis at 40 on a 90 foot line or whatever it was. And then, Oh, by the way, now you're slamming into the ramp. And so uh, again, all of the, uh, yeah, maybe a little extra anxiety for me, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, waking up on any yeah. given Tuesday was a, was a, big deal i would probably go so far as to say you probably had more fun driving ski flyer than you did actually hitting the ramp with ski fly which brings us on to freddie we um you know when that was happening i think the original ski flying i believe was actually done on this lake you know bruce was involved and i think scott and carl robert and some of those guys came over here and that was you know pre-freddie and they kind of laid out the groundwork in that but when we were doing the um in that time where we were we did it on the tour for a year when we were doing more ski fly events. Um, Bruce would usually end up with the Nautique and he would bring it here because he was training here and I would end up with the Mastercraft. So this was kind of the Mecca, you know, Lake Huckleberry was the ski fly Mecca of training. And, um, you know, we we have some hysterical stories of, you know, Jarrett Llewellyn ending up in the cattails down there because Britta wouldn't, you know, le- wouldn't curve out to the right far enough. We and were all learning to All drive. learning together, yeah. <laughs> Franz Oberleitner would jump, you know, 235 feet but couldn't ride it out because you know, he lands like a sack of potatoes, you know. Um, we had some young guys that, that came here and um, there was one young man, I cannot remember his name. And I think he may have come here with Franz Oberleitner. And we told Franz... Carla Armour or, uh, or Daniel Dobringer. No, it wasn't Daniel. I know Daniel. Um, but he brought, it was a young man, a real young man. The kid was maybe 16, 17 years old. And I remember Bruce telling him, Franz, he's not ready. And Franz, oh, no, no, I think he's ready. And uh, Bruce said, well, whatever you do, don't let him ride in the boat first. Let him make him go 
just ride his jumpers. No, no, he's going to jump. He's going to jump. So they put him in the boat and I don't remember if he rode in the boat for me or Bruce or whoever it was, but that young man got out of the boat, walked up to and sat in a car and he wouldn't get out of the car. He was not going to go even try it. And that was the, the most terrifying thing with ski flying was literally riding in the boat and watching because we were all wobbling and bobbling and, you know, you're moving around and cause you know, on a 105 foot line, once it, that handle, you move that handle three inches and it's like a wave action down the, the rope to the pylon and back. And then all of a sudden you just start moving, but the boat just sounds like it's going to fly apart. I mean, it's just screaming down the lake. And when you actually were behind the boat, it, it was almost smooth and, had you know i don't know if melodic is is the word i'm looking for melody or whatever it is it was it wasn't nearly as violent as it was in the boat but uh i mean we had we had ear earplugs and and head uh headsets to to because the boats were so loud um i remember the guys we would start the boat up and start jumping and all of a sudden there would be people down here standing on the side of the lake watching and they were students and skiers coming from Lake Hancock because they could hear us warming the boat up. You know, it was that loud. They, you know, three miles away, they could hear us running. So they would, the wind was blowing the right direction. So they'd jump in a car and come over and watch the ski fly practice because they knew we were getting, you know, something was about to go down. (laughs) So it, yeah, it was an unbelievable time. And, um, I hated, I hated when we were ski flying everywhere. That was a, a terrible idea because very few places were set up to do it. Um, but man, did I hate when we lost it at the Masters. Because um, Larry Medock had that facility always set up right. You know, we, he controlled the, the rollers. You know, he always got the water level down in that. Um, and then, you know, once he left... It, it was it was probably time to to let it go because the I mean ski flying was so temperamental in every aspect of you know obviously the wind conditions but the water conditions were you know so much more critical than anything else and that's um, we just showed the boys I don't know it might have it was like 1998 or something like that or I can't remember what year it was we'd been later than that. Oh, two, something like that. It was a, a ski fly finals that I, and I took a massive crash. Um, you know, and of course the, the kids have a thousand questions as to well, what's that feel like? Why'd that happen? Ah, you know, and you're just like <laughs> bad things happen, man. Um, but yeah, no, it was, I mean, it that was an amazing time for sure. And that concludes part one of my conversation with Freddy Krueger and Karen Truelove. The second part will be coming your way very soon with more stories and anecdotes that you will not want to miss. So until then, this is Tony Lightfoot saying ciao for now. Thank you for listening to the TWBC podcast. Be sure to check out our website at waterskibroadcasting.com. Links to our presence on major social media platforms can be found there, as well as updates to our webcast and this podcast. Duplication or rebroadcasting of this broadcast without written consent of TWBC is prohibited. Subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform and be sure to join us next time for the next edition of the TWBC Podcast.